Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Tuesday, September 21st, and this is your FT News Briefing. The financial crisis at Chinese property developer Evergrande has investors super worried. We'll take a look at whether the impending collapse will stay contained. Plus, we'll hear how foreign investors are propping up the U.S. Treasury market, why Royal Dutch Shell is selling off a big chunk of its fossil fuel business, and how Coinbase has caved into pressure from U.S. securities regulators. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Global stock markets appear to be really nervous about the Chinese property developer Evergrande. Yesterday, the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq were both down around 2%. Things weren't much better in Europe. Now, Evergrande is the world's most indebted property developer, and all that debt is coming home to roost. Investors are increasingly nervous that the company will default and trigger a domino effect through global financial markets. Here's the FT's Katie Martin. You can line it up against the scale of other crises that have been globally important and and systemic to the entire financial ecosystem. You can compare it to things like Lehman Brothers. You can compare it to things like the Greek crisis. You can compare it to the subprime crisis in the States. But what was different about those crises is that they had little links, little roots into the global banking system. And that's what means that a crisis that happens in one place can have a really severe impact somewhere else. And in this case, the the bet up to now has been that's not going to happen in the case of Evergrande. And chances are that's still the right analysis. The the chances are the, the right analysis is still the central bank in China, the People's Bank of China, will step in to take further actions to dull the impact of this horrible unraveling of Evergrande on the rest of the Chinese economy, on the rest of the Chinese property sector. Katie, are there other ways an Evergrande default or any crisis in China's property market really could affect global markets? So, for example, the Chinese property sector is an enormous consumer of commodities. And so if there is a really severe pullback in the entire Chinese property sector, that means there's going to be less demand for things like steel and copper. Could this affect miners elsewhere? Could this affect a bunch of different companies elsewhere? That's what's starting to eat into the rest of the system. The the big question is, is this the start of something really huge and horrible or is this still a crisis that is contained within China you know, this is probably just a bit of an opportunity for a pause. It's it's a loss of momentum. It's a pullback. It's not, you know, a full-blown crisis. It's not the sort of thing that we saw in March 2020. So if there is a way for this, for Evergrande to take down a big international bank, I'm yet to hear it. Katie Martin is the FT's markets editor. Investors are also keeping an eye on the Federal Reserve. This week, top officials at the U.S. Central Bank will meet, and investors are looking for clues about when they'll start tapering the pandemic bond purchasing program. The move could drag down government bond prices, given the loss of demand. But the FT's Kate Duguid reports there's a big demand for U.S. Treasuries coming from elsewhere. So we're seeing evidence that a lot of this demand is coming from China and Japan, Both of those countries are already the two biggest holders, uh, overseas holders of U.S. debt, but demand has been ramping up. Yeah, why is that? 
So the first thing is that the U.S. Treasury market is the safest and the most liquid market in the world. So there's always, you know, a large amount of demand for U.S. debt. But it's also the case that that the yield on U.S. debt is higher at the moment. And so we've seen demand from all over the world, but in particular from, from China and Japan, who always have a certain amount of demand for U.S. debt increasing in order to maximize their returns on the safest possible debt. It's also the case that expectations for growth in the U.S. are slightly higher than in some other G10 countries. And so higher economic expectations also drives yields on uh, government debt higher. And so there's also demand from foreign investors for that reason. So what does this mean for bond markets, Kate, if treasury prices and yields stay steady? What it could mean in the longer term is that when the Fed begins to wind down its pandemic-era monetary policy, that this demand might prove a counterbalance. So typically, when the Fed withdraws its support, yields would rise, right? That there's a huge amount of supply, that the Fed isn't buying as many assets, And so a lot of assets are available to to normal investors. And that would typically drive prices lower and yields higher. But given that demand is so strong, we might not see those effects. It might be the case that yields continue to stay low, prices continue to stay high. Uh, It also means that the returns on U.S. government debt are going to stay somewhat limited. Kate Duguid is the FT's U.S. capital markets correspondent. Royal Dutch Shell is making another move as part of its shift away from fossil fuels. Yesterday, Shell agreed to sell its business in a U.S. oil drilling region known as the Permian Basin. Rival ConocoPhillips will buy the operations for $9.5 billion in cash. The area is in West Texas and southeastern New Mexico, and it's the biggest oil field in the U.S. In May, a court in the Netherlands ordered Shell to slash its net carbon pollution. Shell said $7 billion from the sale will go to shareholders and the rest will be used to pay down debt. Financial regulators around the world are grappling with cryptocurrency companies. The top U.S. regulator, the Securities and Exchange Commission, has taken a tough stance and in one case threatened to sue the country's largest cryptocurrency exchange called Coinbase if Coinbase went ahead with plans to launch a lending product. Regulators considered it an unregistered security. Now, Coinbase has backed down. The FT's Hannah Murphy calls the move more of a symbolic loss for Coinbase. It sounds like they first went to the SEC, and then the SEC said, no, we don't want you to do this. At that point, they decided to press ahead anyway. And then it was later that the SEC said, you know, we will sue you if you do keep on pressing ahead. So it sounds like they did have sort of not one, but two warnings. And eventually they will have consulted with lawyers, one imagines, and decided that the best way forward is just to step back. There's one other aspect to this, which is that state regulators are pursuing some of their peers in the crypto space. So on Friday, Celsius, which also offers crypto lending, sort of interest-bearing products, was ordered to stop by the state of New Jersey, stop ordering those products. And BlockFi, another lending platform, also has similar actions being pursued by, I think, three states. Um, So there does seem to be a sort of bit of regulatory momentum around these particular lending products. So Hannah, what does Coinbase's decision mean for other cryptocurrency companies? 
So I think this will be concerning to other crypto lenders or cryptocurrency exchanges, which also offer these lending products. It may uh, send a bit of a chill around the industry. Those who offer existing products or are planning to offer existing products will have to reassess, you know, do we continue to do this? What are the next steps that we should take? Uh, It's important to remember that the SEC didn't say, you can't do this at all. The SEC told Coinbase, you know, if you were going to do this, you would have to register with us. Um, Now, that involved sort of extra disclosures, a lot of paperwork, more bureaucracy. So one can understand why particularly smaller, more innovative players in the space don't necessarily want to do that. But that's still an option for Coinbase. That's the FT's tech correspondent, Hannah Murphy. And before we go, a toast to the beer industry going green. And it's an interesting alliance. Russia's aluminum group Rusal is teaming up with the U.S. beer behemoth Budweiser to produce ultra-low carbon beer cans. Rusal will provide Bud with 5 million cans made from aluminum that eliminates carbon dioxide from the smelting process. The cans will be filled in two breweries in the U.K. that are powered by renewable electricity. It's only a tiny fraction of all the beer cans that are made, but a top official with Roussel's parent company called it the first commercial rollout of a near-zero carbon aluminum that's been done at scale. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.